What's up, hybrids? Welcome back to another episode of the Phantom Hybrid Podcast. This is Hanako, and I'm here with Anthony, Lori, and Mike, and we are discussing episode three of Shadow and Bone. The title is The Making at the Heart of the World. I have to say, I think this was actually one of my favorite episodes of the season, mainly because we start to see a little bit more of the world unfolding. We get to learn a little bit more about the key characters in the Grishaverse. We meet the Druskella for the first time, like actually meet them, hear some dialogue from them, kind of get an idea of what they're about. We see the stag for the first time. We get a little bit more backstory with Mal and Alina and with the general. And I just, I just think this episode was one of my favorites. Um, Kaz and Inej and Jesper with his gunslinging. That was like one of my favorite parts of the episode. So yeah, I think this is one of my favorite. Shut up, Mike. Stop shaking your head at me. Jesper's gunslinging. No, I'm, no, no, I'm not was- sure. No, look, let me explain. <laughs> I love Jesper. But he's going to be that one character whenever, because once you get into it, you go see it's like, it's like, he's like, no, no, no. It's, it's just like the meme or the thing on TikTok where it's like, don't do the thing. I'm not going to do the thing. <laughs> I'm doing the thing. He's it's just the same thing. I'm like, and I love him because he ends up being a being a pretty badass character in this yes. episode, which I was like, all right, cool. But he had it's to like mess the up one in order for us to see how badass. No, he didn't. No, no, no. He 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 could he could have not done what he did and still been a badass. But it's like You're right. he's he's just that guy, and I have to accept that. So, but he's still a badass. I still he's still one of my favorite characters in here, though. Yep, Anthony. What is this look on your face? I don't care for Jesper. I just don't. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Well, you you oh, asked. You asked. You didn't have to ask. I've said this before. Oh. You don't. You don't. Yes. Oh. He did say it before. I've said he it hasn't before. appealed to you even a little bit? No. Oh. no. His, his character is juvenile and annoying. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. There aren't, honestly, I mean, there aren't really many characters on the show that I like. Except for Inesh. Except for Inesh. <laughs> and maybe Zoya. Maybe Zoya, yeah. Mm-mm. After this episode, I'm off Zoya. I'm good. We're, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to Zoya. But, um, okay, so this episode starts out with the vision of the white stag. And let me say... This stag and the way that they, like the cinematography when they shoot this stag, the lighting, the shadows, the everything about it, this was what made me want to watch this show because the teaser trailer that they released when they announced this show was all about the stag's horns and his coat and then just the majestic stature when he stands I was like, oh, I don't know what this story is about, but I'm all in. Like, literally, the stag is what got me interested in Shadow and Bond. I didn't know anything about the characters. I didn't even look up anything about the characters until we watched the show. I was here for the stag. Like, seriously. It's so beautiful. It's because you expect the elite to say, expect a Patronum and for him to show up. That's what that is. No, no. I didn't expect any of that. That stag is just so 
beautiful. And I was like, oh, this is going to be a very important part of the story. But we see the stag and we've, we've heard the stag mentioned before. I think Alina and Mal have mentioned it. I think we've also seen Alina in her flashbacks. I think she was drawing the stag at one point, but it seems to be a pretty important piece of whatever this Grisha puzzle is. But this stag at this moment happens to be a dream of Alina's and something about it startles her. She wakes up. She's still in the little palace. She's in her four poster bed. She's still kind of, I think shell shocked about her circumstances and the fact that she is now in the little palace, the fact that she is now Grisha. She's still having a hard time reconciling herself to that. So she starts the episode off by writing a letter to Mal because again, she and Mal are separated and she still, even though she is the one that's the fish out of water, she's still worried about him and she knows that he's worrying about her. So she's trying to reassure him in her letters. Now I can tell you this now, even without knowing what happens later on in the other episodes, I already knew. I was like, Alina, baby, those letters are not going anywhere. At this point, we don't know if they are or not, but I just knew. I was like, there is no way they're about to let her send him any letters, get in touch with him. They're they're about to try to break her from her old life. And even before I get into the whole story and know everything, I'm mad about it. (laughs) Like, y'all just snatched this girl away from everything she has ever known. And you're trying to cut her off and keep her isolated. And I know just given where we think the story is going, we know that that's probably something that they're going to do to just kind of get her to do whatever it is they need her to do. They're they're looking at her like, oh, you're the sun summoner. You're the one that's going to destroy the foe. She's still like trying to figure out like, how the hell did I call sun forth from my hands? Like what's going on? That poor baby. She's just, like I said, she's a fish out of water. And here you go, you you go from being part of the army, you go from being an orphan who didn't have a lot of things coming up, who didn't have nice things, who didn't have enough to eat. And now you have your own suite of rooms, you have servants coming in to talk rudely about you in a language you don't understand, to come and bathe you and do your hair and all this other stuff. Wait, wait, she does understand the language. Yeah, she definitely. Well, they think they, she they doesn't did, understand. They didn't know she didn't understand. They didn't know she understood. You know, that's the thing. People always make assumptions. Rude. You know that. Right. Because again, and we see this even with the way one of the servants addresses her or says something about her. They're only looking at what she looks like on the outside. And again, she looks like she's from the shoe country. So that's all they're looking at. Nobody is paying attention to the fact that she's East Rafkin. It's kind of like people who are second generation born here. I know plenty of people who are Puerto Rican, but they were born here. They don't speak the language because the parents don't teach them. I don't know what that is. My mom is the same way. My mom is Japanese, born there, raised there. She came over here when she was 24, She didn't raise my brother and I to speak Japanese. She didn't raise us with Japanese culture because in her mind, she made the decision to come here. So she was going to raise us as American children. So we see that that happens all the time. 
people always make assumptions. Oh, they don't know what we're saying. So we're just going to talk about it. And you hear people talk about it all the time. Nail salons. That happens all the time. People are having conversations. And a lot of people think that, okay, they're talking about us or they're talking about me. And it could be the case, but sometimes it's not. They're just having their own conversations. It just happens a lot. And it's no different here. Like Elena is writing this letter to Mal talking about how great this life is and how things are so much better. And, you know, she's like, hey, I have my own private room for the first time. I have a whole host of attendants who treat me with respect. Yeah, no. And I was like, that's not what respect looks like. Well, I I think the biggest misconception that they had for her is not that she looks shoe or or that she's East Raskin, is the fact that she's a cartographer. And I can tell you that anyone who is educated to do that type of work has a little bit more working knowledge of the world and languages and stuff because they need it for their actual job. Mm -hmm. They need to be able to understand and cities and names and locations and locales and a little bit about the culture you it's not just you know mapping plotting with the mathematical skills that takes a lot of education to be a cartographer Mm -hmm. i mean she's not dumb you know no but i think that you have to keep in mind too is that these attendants have probably lived in the little palace all of their life right yeah you have to think about it Uh, alina is kind of an anomaly for the Grisha in that she never got tested. So she's only finding out about her powers now as a, I I would say an older teen, early young adult. And this is something they've never encountered because most of the people who are Grisha, they find this out when they're very young. We meet um, Jenya, who is the queen's handmaiden and she is there to assist Elena with getting her presentable to go before the king. And so Elena asked her, you know, when did you find out you were Grisha? And Jenya says, I was tested when I was 11, but I've been training myself since I was three. So again, all of these people have known this pretty much all their lives that they're Grisha. And Elena is the one who's just kind of like, um, I've only been a Grisha for 24 hours. What does that mean? You know, it's, it's not anything that she was prepared for. And then again, too, Most of these attendants are probably used to people being in their palaces who are maybe a little more physically well uh, taken care of because Elena is, again, she's army. She's first army. She's been out on the road. She's been in the field. She probably hasn't bathed for days. You know, they start speaking in Rafkin and they say she smells like a horse. And, you know, she tells them, yeah, I do smell like a f- horse. I've been on one for 200 miles and I almost got killed twice. Thank you very much. So yes, I would smell like a horse. And I think Jenya, she smiles a little bit because I think she respects Alina that Alina's not just sitting back and just kind of being a meek mouse, allowing these people to talk about her and just kind of sitting there just, okay, whatever. This is what they're going to do. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be a puppet and let them be a puppet. Alina is showing right off the bat She's not about to be anybody's puppet. And I think that's going to be important for her later on. But I like that right there from jump, she's establishing, hey, just because I'm not what you guys expected of me, you will not mistreat me. You will not disrespect me. And you will not talk about me like I'm not here in the room. There's um, uh, another universe we're all familiar with, and that is the Star Wars universe. And what do they do when they find, you know, 
kids who are adept in the force or have force abilities they take them as as babies <laughs> you know and raise them in the jedi temple mm-hmm. to be tools or whatever until anakin know. comes along right and <laughs> then you know you see what happens when you get someone who's a little bit older mm-hmm. and already you know set in their ways or whatever right some of that stuff you can't shake right and that's basically what you get with yeah. Alina. she's she's grisha but she's not like the rest of them who were like you said they were found when they were kids mm-hmm. so they can be trained in the dogma and and have all that that stuff put in their heads she didn't have that mm-hmm. you know they're not going to be able to just stuff the propaganda and the dogma in their head and make her you know a quote-unquote a true grisha right i think the way i looked at it is everyone else who is grisha they call themselves grisha like that is their identity that is who they are as a person and even a little bit later on in the episode when Alina goes before the king and the queen and she's with General Kerrigan, the king asks her, he's like, who are you or what are you? And she doesn't answer because she kind of is like, okay, how am I supposed to answer that question? General Kerrigan answers it for her. She is Alina Starkov, the sun summoner. So I think one of the things I feel like they're establishing for us early on is that even though yes Alina is Grisha it is not her identity it's not what makes her who she is and I think that's what they're establishing yeah and the mistake that everyone around her right now is making is that in their world to be Grisha is the thing mm-hmm. they're not recognizing that this that's not who she is mm-hmm. and you know and I think and we've talked about this before with previous villains it's like if you have someone and you want them to be on your side you can get them on your side if you do the right things go get mal have him tag along you know treat her like a cartographer who's got powers mm-hmm. you, you can keep calling her a cartographer and be like oh you got you can help us with this new gift that you have. there are ways you can do it without just trying to make her forget everything that has happened to her in her life mm-hmm. and you want her to start now at point a right and this is not her point a anymore Mm-mm. her point a is is in the past right and i mean it's never been her point a and then even just the different things that people say to her when they meet her like they're excited to meet her because of what she represents and the possibilities of her power and what she can do for them it's almost like nobody is really interested in her as a person, except for the two young ladies that she meets after she meets the king and the queen. I think it's Nadia and I cannot remember what the other young lady's name is. Uh, Maria. Okay, but they greet her like a friend. And we see those are the only two people who really like come around her and treat her like a person instead of, oh, she's the sun summoner. Why are you sitting here at this table eating when you should be training? You know, that sort of thing. They're they're the only ones who are treating her like an actual person, except for maybe the apparat, and we'll get to him because that motherfucker is creepy as hell. Mm. Hell no. That motherfucker is straight R. Kelly-ish. Like, nah, man. Like, I... uh I don't even know if it's on that level. It's just really, it's really weird. We'll, oh, 
we'll, we'll, we'll get to him. But like I was saying, I like the fact that Alina asserts herself in this situation. Like she's making it known that, okay, yes, I am in an unfamiliar situation, but you guys are not going to run over me. You're not going to do anything I don't want to do. Just like with the attendance after, you know, Jenya tells her, hey, I have to make you presentable for the king. You're meeting him in an hour. When Alina comes out of the tub, Jenya starts talking about the things that she can do for her. And one of the attendants makes a comment and says, I start by making her eyes less shoe. And when Alina... Yeah, so Alina has this look on her face like she wants to say something, but at the same time, it's it's one of those, did she really just have the audacity to say that to me? And then, of course, Jenya sends everyone else out the room. And the first thing Alina says to her is, don't change my eyes. You know, and it's like, she's making it known again. Okay, yes, I'm here. Yes, I understand that. According to y'all, I have a job to do, but you are not going to change who I am fundamentally as a person. I think that's the big theme that they are trying to establish for us, the viewers in these early episodes is that Alina is very much her own person and that is going to serve her well through the rest of the series. She's going to have to hold on to that because now she's in a place where everybody wants her to be something that in her mind, she's not. Right, but I think yeah, I would have I would have punched that bitch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, straight, straight slap smack her in, her in her mouth. I think that almost surreptitiously, this series is doing a really good job about approaching and showing how bad racial and class disparity is. Like, there's a lot of things in this mm-hmm. in here that they don't necessarily hit you over the head with it well they, i mean with the with the shoe they kind of do because i mean in the first three episodes it's been almost white supremacist level hate against the shoe like if from the lunch line to this to something to a to to mm-hmm. when when once we get to when she meets the king and queen like even there i was just like yo that's crazy that queen and listen bitch but yeah, I, I'm sorry. I'm having to take a breath because just thinking about the attendant and her making the comment about Alina's eyes. And then when she meets the queen and she looks, you know, she gets to look at Alina's face and she says, well, you know, she looks more shoe anyway. And then she's like, um, tell her good morning. Let's start with that. And she's like, I don't actually right. speak to your majesty. You know, she, <laughs> Alina wanted to come out and say, bitch. Who are you talking to? But of course, she had to remember she is kind of in front of the royalty, so she can't go pop it's it not even necessarily what she said is how she said it. It's like she was like, she said, "Oh, I thought she was shoe." Well, I guess she's shoe enough. Tell her, oh, I don't mm-hmm. know. Good morning. It's just like I mean, she might as well might as well have talked slow and opened her eyes really wide and said, "Good morning, some summoner." How are you? I mean, she might as well have just said that. I mean, because she, it's almost like she was talking to a dog. Yeah, yeah. Like she's just like, oh. she she really pissed me off. I was just like, look, woman. I mean, they they they're but see, they're the typical monarchy. It's like typical, like really aloof and not really understanding or wanting to one. 
not understanding or yeah. wanting to understand anyone else. So, I mean, it's typical. But here's my thing. If you are meeting this woman, if this young woman is being brought in front of you because everyone, including your trusted general, has told you this, she is the sun summoner. And the sun summoner is supposed to be the one to save Ravka, supposed to be the one to destroy the foal. So thereby being the person who destroys the thing that is dividing your country right now you got to come with a better first impression than that. Because in my mind, if that's how you speak to me the first time we meet, in my mind, I'm thinking, bitch, I ain't saving shit for you. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's save yourself. So disrespectful. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, she was, it was bad. I mean, but it's like, I mean, you would, you would think that even after she she showed her powers it was more like to me it seemed like more of a like she was a court jester like doing a trick like they were like oh bravo bravo instead of being in awe they were like oh good we have another toy sweet okay this is awesome Mm -hmm. like they weren't really impressed they were just they weren't impressed they were entertained and it's just like i don't even think it was the fact that they were entertained it was more like okay so this is what she can do this is who she is when can she get it done that's really how I felt. Yeah. Like they were in awe at the beginning, you know, when they realized that, yes, she was calling forth the power of the sun. But like I said, immediately after that, the king was like, how long will she need? And General Kerrigan was looking at him like, yeah, she's going to need to move into the little palace and start her training with me exclusively. He was like, look, nobody else is training her. Nobody else is this. This is what's going on here. So even though I'm trying to ignore it because it's Ben Barnes, we already see General Kerrigan is being a little bit controlling here. He's trying to control the narrative and trying to control access to Alina. For what? He has his own agenda. Yeah. Like, he's coming across like he wants the fold destroyed, but there's something about him that just, yeah, like you said, seems like he has a different agenda. Seems like there might be something more going on than what he has presented so far. I mean, look at look at how he how he presented her. Like, she really doesn't know how to control or spark her powers. So he grabs her and her powers come out. So he's already exerting, showing that, you know, I can control her. I can help. You know, I know how to get her to do what she does. Yeah. Apparently, General Kerrigan is one of the very rare human amplifiers. And according to Lena, they don't exist. But as we learn later on, something about his power can amplify hers. And I don't know if it can do this with all Grisha or if it's just with her because their powers are so closely aligned you he's, know, they're really... he's so freaking shady he's like he's the only shadow wielder he's a rare human amplifier whatever dude yeah there's there's something <laughs> he's else so, he's so shady and he wears all black whatever now i don't have a problem with all black he can continue to wear all black <laughs> i'm just saying that's usually a sign that someone is bad. He's a bad yeah. guy. Yeah. And I mean, I think we all knew this from 
even the first episode, even though we didn't see him really in the first episode, like we didn't see his face. We didn't get a reveal. We didn't hear his voice. We only saw him arriving to the camp in his black carriage. And we saw the back of him when the skiff took off. That was ominous enough for me to know, okay, yeah, you about to be a problem up in this show. That was already obvious. But going back to Alina and her getting ready for the king, I like that she's in this situation where she's very uncomfortable. And, you know, when the attendants are there bathing her, they're trying to wash her hair, they're doing all this stuff. She's telling Jenya, she's like, I don't really need all of this. And then they go to put a robe on her. She was like, oh, is that velvet? And my mind went to a flashback. I can't even remember what comedy show it is. I know one of you guys know. The Lion. What is that, Velvet? I can't remember what. Yeah, it. Coming to America. Yes, thank you. Yeah, That yeah. was what I what thought of when she said it. Yes, <laughs> yeah, that was it what really I did. thought of when she said it. It was like literally in my mind. But again, I like that she's trying to hold her own and say, hey, this is going overboard. I really don't need all of this. Like she's trying to hold on to who she is. But she's also being presented with things she's never had before. So, of course, if, you, if you're if you used to sleeping on the street and not having shoes on your feet, if someone puts you in a luxurious home with, I don't know, goose down comforters and a, you know, a feather bed and memory foam soles on your shoes, you're going to be kind of like, oh, well, you know what? I don't need all this kind of stuff. This is really nice. And I have a feeling that's that's kind of going to be one of the ways that they start to slowly break Alina down to get her to do whatever it is they want her to do. They're, they're going to start making her a little more comfortable than she's ever been in her life. We've seen it in other shows. We've seen it in other movies. It is a trope. You take the person who has grown up without... And you give them everything that they've ever wanted. And even though they have a moral code, even though they have their own belief system and things that they themselves say they will never do for those kind of creature comforts, when you start kind of introducing those things to them, it starts breaking down that wall. And I think that's what they're trying to do with Elena. Okay. I'm just going to flip it for just one second here. She is a cartographer. She's with the army. She grew up in the orphanage and they're exposing her to things that she's never seen before, but there is a flip side. There is a danger. My, uh, my ex uh, husband was from India and uh, when he came over, he saw this stuff that he hadn't seen and he was impressed by a lot of stuff. So when he got to a point in his life where it was no longer, ooh, this is doing shiny, and we got together, he assumed because I was uh, from the Midwest that I hadn't seen certain things. So I'll remember it vividly. He came home one day all excited. He goes, I'm going to take you to the movies. Have you ever been? We're going to the movies. Uh, dude, my uncle owns a movie theater. Really? Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to take you to the dentist. I had braces. Wait, Oh, you have an uncle that owns a movie theater? Used to. Long time ago. Long time ago. Still. Ago. Laura, you had the coolest like. Yeah, but that was it's a long time ago. But anyway, <laughs> I was excited. I'm going to take you to the dentist. Uh, I had braces for six years. So 
as he would try to introduce me to these new things that I had grown up with all my life, got very, very resentful and very, very like, well, fine, you can't do anything nice for you. So I think getting back to this thing, I think that once they start getting her where she's like, well, I've had this before. And they're like, well, you can't use this to make me feel like this is special. I know what a bathroom is that is, that, that is not an outhouse is. It's going to wear off and she's going to start seeing and they're going to start seeing her in more of a normal light and instead of each side trying to make the other side think that they're really, really special. Because even though she was in the Army and the Orphanage, they live in what we would consider a modern world. And if they've never seen these things, they at least have a working passing knowledge of it. So that whole thing about luring her into comfort, I'm not necessarily buying as 100%. It's more like she's never had it. But at the same time, I get the feeling that her base personality is that it's nice for a night, but after that, it doesn't matter to her. Oh, yeah. I She'd totally, rather be I back. I totally agree. I yeah. totally agree. And not only that, I think, honestly, I think she would probably enjoy it more and take it in more if her best friend were, were with her. Mm-hmm. And, and we definitely, you know, just in the letters that she writes to Mal throughout this episode, she really misses him. And it gets to the point where the letters, I feel like start to maybe get a little more intimate to the point where by the last letter we see in the episode, she all but declares her love for him without saying that she right. loves him. Right, right. And I think, yeah. you know, kind of like you said, Anthony, if you want this girl on your side, I'm sure she's living in a palace. Y'all know those letters are getting read. Come on now. If y'all see that this person, this is the person that she's missing so much and not just missing because she wants to be with him. She has said it in her letters. We have seen it in the first two episodes, the way that they interact with each other. These two people are like twin souls. They belong together, whether romantically or not, we'll see that later down the line. But right now they're best friends. They struggle together as children. And even Alina held herself back so that she wouldn't leave Mal behind. So, you know, in a way, she probably kind of feels like that's what she's doing now. She's like, hey, I can see about getting you leave, you know, have them send you up here. Like she really thinks that she can do all of this. And then once he's there, everything will be okay. But that's not going to happen. And I don't think she, I just don't think she realizes it yet because one, she is naive. She's never been in this kind of situation before. But two, she really thinks that she's in a position now. She's the sun summoner. She may not be arrogant in her way of thinking, but I think in a way she's thinking, I'm the sun summoner. You guys want me here? Well, I want him here. So bring him here. And I really think that's what she feels like will happen. And unfortunately, we already know, even without going into future episodes, we already know that's not going to happen. Why shouldn't she expect to have a quid pro quo? Because she's the fucking sun summoner. She's the one that's going to save everybody. She should expect some special treatment. 
why shouldn't why why shouldn't they do whatever the hell she wants to because she has that power and if she chooses not to do it then everything goes on as usual but if she chooses to use it she changes everything for the grisha she changes everything for basically everybody she can she can actually change she can change history by holding her hand up and shining and shining the fold away so why shouldn't she use that to her at least we think she can <laughs> She should, I mean, she should be able to. I mean, I, but yeah. I, but I yeah. agree that they're they're going to try to. I think they're going to try to appeal to her naivete and say, well, maybe she doesn't know that she. Maybe she, maybe we could tell her that's not how it works, and she'll be like, oh, but okay, fine, but and try try to make it try to appeal to her being timid like that. So, I mean, but I yeah, we don't really see timid is not really Alina's thing. Right, I'm just saying they don't know that. But I mean, it's like she they'll they'll probably try try to pin her in like that. Yeah. So and I mean, thinking about what you just said, it's not like she's even asking for a whole lot as the quote unquote some summoner. All she wants is one thing. Just she one just thing. wants Mal to, to be there with thing. her. It's just one thing. I, if, if, it is, if they, damn it, it is just one thing. I know it's a huge thing. If they brought Mal there with her, everything would have gone so much more smoothly. So much more smoothly. But maybe not too, because I think Mal, again, with Alina and Mal growing up the way that they did, they see through bullshit a lot more than other people do. I think Mal would have gotten there and he probably would have... I won't say he would have talked Alina out of it, but I think he would have been that, you know, when you start going into, or when you start going with the flow of everything, which again, I feel like Alina will probably start doing maybe hesitantly, maybe unconsciously, but I feel like that's what's going to happen the longer she's there. I feel like Mal would be that little voice nagging over her shoulder like, "Mm -mm, don't do that. Like as soon as that apparat walked up on her in the library, Mal would have been like, nope, come on, let's go. Nope. I mean, he got so uncomfortably close. And I mean, even, okay, so part of my, and I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but part of my aversion to him when he approached her was me thinking in COVID terms, dude, that's not six feet apart. (laughs) (laughs) Even pre-COVID, there is this thing called personal space. They tell you that when you're approaching someone, you're supposed to give them at least four feet clearance. Don't step into that personal space. That dude got in her face almost like, not like he was going to kiss her because I don't get that vibe from him. But he does definitely give off a very creepy vibe, like even with the conversation that he had with her about the stag and about the saint who made the animals from his bones and, you know, using the animals as amplifiers for Grisha power. I feel like he was trying to steer her in a particular direction and make her think certain things. And it was just so fucking creepy. I didn't find it creepy. I, I didn't find it creepy for one reason. I didn't find it. I thought he was creepy, but I didn't think the situation was creepy. Yes. Because this is, again, this is a trope. You've got this mysterious priest 
teacher, whatever, who sees what's going on. They have some prior knowledge that's important for the main character to know, but they can't say it outright. So they sneakily drop crumbs and clues along the way while you know wringing their hands going, but I really can't say, but if you come to this dark corner, I'll let you see a little bit. That's the vibe I got from him. But yeah, he was just generally creepy. Yes, but he felt, you know, the, the personal space alone, this is somebody who honestly they should have never left up out of the rectory to be honest with you. he just needed to be there you know with his little books and stuff but there's another character that's equally as creepy but she's not as uh stalkerish but she's equally as creepy which we'll see later on but i think that for someone like her who grew up the way that she did she was a little bit more willing to listen to him than if someone would have grown up grisha because if you would have grown up Grisha or if you'd grown up uh, non-Grisha, but you had more of a working knowledge, because this thing about this world I like the most is that unlike a lot of worlds, Harry Potter, various other worlds, the people who are non-magical, they actually have just about as much knowledge about what's going on versus everyone else. Whereas a lot of worlds, either you're in or you're out. Or you're a muggle, yeah. Or you're, yeah, basically you're a muggle. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I'm I'm with Hanako though. It's like when they were reading in that book, I have expected them to like get behind her and look over her shoulder and have abnormally long fingers and like reach them around her shoulder and be like, "Yes, the bone smith." When I saw you and like grab her shoulders, and I was like, Ooh. "I like, I you, you know how when you see something creepy, you get that little feeling going up and down your spine. That's what I felt when I watched this dude on screen. I was like, I don't know who this fucking actor is, but he is fucking brilliant." Because I feel so repulsed <laughs> right now looking at my screen and looking at the way he is interacting with Alina. And it's, it was creepy, but at the same time, it was sad because the way that he came to her and he was like, I would like to be friends. And it's almost, he said it very, cre- uh, just everything that he says, he says it in a really creepy tone. But I also felt like, in a way, he was kind of sincere about that too. Like maybe one of the reasons why he is that way is because nobody, he has no friends. You know, he doesn't have anybody else that he can talk to. He doesn't have anybody that he can confide in. He doesn't have anybody to just be him with. So he's like trying overly hard and it's just really like even now my skin is crawling it's just he's he's one of the creepiest people that i've seen on tv in a long time like he is little finger on a hundred it's just so weird no but see what he said was it's it is important that we are friends which kind of leads me to believe that there's a that he is trying to fulfill a prophecy of some kind like he said, like, maybe maybe he read something where, where there's, like, the Sun Summoner and this person will do such and such. The the fact that he said it's important, not that, you know, I like you. We should, we should be friends. He said it's important that we are friends. So there's something, I mean, there, there I'm, I'm thinking there's, there has to be something of a, something with a prophecy or something where he wants to be close to her or at her right or left hand or by her side in order to be there when something, when the prophecy or something fulfills itself. That's kind of what I'm, what I'm, what I got from it. I kind of got that too. I mean, even with as creepy as he is, I feel like he was 
relaying some very important information to her. Like it was coming across as a casual conversation, but even from the time, like she picked up a book out of the library and it was a book that she remembers from her childhood. And she, you know, she kind of read a poem out of it out loud. And that's when he shows up. And when she puts the book back, he says, oh, you're interested in the lore of the stag and pulls out another book and like start showing her the stuff. And I'm like, so why would you think that she's just like overly, you know, uh, curious about this stag? Like, it's like he, it's like he has some extra information about what's going on with her, and he's he's trying to guide her in the right direction. Yeah, kind of like Mike. So I, I I understand how you you would think he's kind of creepy, but I guess some sort of like Lori is he's almost like it's almost like he's a necessary character. Like, oh yeah, definitely. He's there. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's he's not. I mean, in that he's there to give her like that extra information that she needs. Yeah. Yeah. And and he's going to be like an indirect guide to point her into the direction she needs to go. Yeah. Because he obviously knows something that's going to be important for her. Like he has some information that's going to be important on her quest. Because, you know, it's a trope. We always have these side characters who give the main character some random bit of information that helps them in, at the end of the day. Like he explains to her about the amplifiers. Like that that is probably going to be something that she needs yep. to know. And the fact that um what what did he say? The fact that if the Grisha kill these amp these animal amplifiers, they take on their power or that it amplifies their own personal power. They absorb that power. Right. Like they very specifically mentioned that. And then Alina reiterated it to him when you know after he said it she was like so the grisha who kills the animal absorbs their power he was like yes i was like oh that's going to be something important later on of course yeah and you know it's going to be related to the stag you know someone's going to want to yeah. kill the stag to steal the stag's power oh not that stag is too pretty to die that would make me sad. Yeah, it's like she's gonna kill the stag, break off party antler, and chew on it like it's a toothpick, and be like, "Make my day." That's so gross. <laughs> oh no! Okay, yeah, still it's a major plot point in Grimm. <laughs> well, I mean, it does fall under that tropish type of thing, <laughs> but yeah. Um, now, I I think that. When it's all said and done, I think that this episode, one of the things that they did really well is foreshadow some of the stuff that's going to happen. And they did it in such a way that it was very clever, but at the same time, it was very clear cut. I mean, they doesn't beat around the bush. A lot of shows beat around the bush and make you guess three or four episodes of what that meaning might be. These people like told you, yeah, the incident absorbs the power. Okay, let's move on. You know, I mean, very clear cut, which I find refreshing because some shows you, you're sitting there you're six seven eight nine twelve episodes in i'm thinking about once upon a time before they finally make sense of what this meant you know or yeah or 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 this is not the theory or he's <laughs> yep, here it comes. he's he's a long line of you know apparents or whatever who knows what's really going on and they're working 
against whoever the the big bad guy is. You know what I mean? Like, ah, like that goes without saying. Yeah, like that's a given. Yeah. So he's he's he has his own you know thing going on, and he's you know moving chess pieces around the board, trying to make sure everyone he needs in place has the information they need to get what he wants. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean he could be a bad one, like in the long line of apparents who's supposed to help everyone along. Maybe he's like the, the first bad one. I'm trying to think of a movie. Oh, I was thinking of Aragon. The um the the books about the dragon and, and the boy, but there's something similar in there, but it happens in like the first book or whatever. But there's a guy who you think is supposed to be on your side, but he's kind of not on, on your side. So because he has his own thing going on. And this is what this guy seems like. He's got his own thing going on. But right now, your objectives and his objectives align. He reminds me of Cardinal Wolsey from the Tudors. Like, he's supposed to be serving the king. Like, he's the king's spiritual advisor. But it's almost like he has, like y'all say, he has a side quest of his own that he's trying to accomplish and that that it really gave me like even the creepiness a little bit of the creepiness it gave me cardinal woolsey vibes like okay yes i'm gonna sit here and pretend like i am the loyal servant and at the same time i'm gonna go behind your back and i'm gonna put these little thoughts in this sun summoner's ear and just you know let those stew for a little bit until you know she's in the position where i need her to do what i need her to do whatever that is but whatever his motivations are creepy as fuck just period (laughs) anyway we're gonna take a break from the little palace for a moment i want to go talk about the crows are we talking crows are we talking nina and crows We'll talk about Nina later. We'll talk about Nina later. What? How are we not going to talk about Nina? Okay. Oh, come on. Well, we have to talk out with the crows because, of course, the crows are, they're talking to the conductor and I'm less interested in the crows and more interested in Nina. We have to talk about them in order to even get to Nina because we only meet Nina because she has a connection to the conductor. We're going to get there. Y'all should see Anthony is sitting here pouting with his thumbs down. Okay. Talk about Nina, guys. Go go for it. Go for it. No, no. Go ahead. We've got to no, talk about y'all. the crows because the crows need Nina, according to the conductor. So we can talk about I just, that. I just, I just, uh, yeah, because once Anthony gets done gushing, I'm going to gush. <laughs> so go ahead. Go ahead, because uh, I don't really care for the crows, except for, of course, Inez. But <laughs> so again, we we are with Kaz and Inez and Jesper, and they have the conductor. And of course, remember in the last episode, Tantaline sent Inez after the conductor by lying and saying, "Hey, he's a guy who smuggles children into establishments like this." knowing that Inesh would go for the kill and Kaz just happens to catch her at the right time and explains, no, this is the conductor. This is the guy who's going to get us across the fold. So apparently this conductor guy has transported people across the fold, not just once, not just twice. Like he has a reputation for it. He's done it dozens of times. And the other part of his reputation is 
he also smuggles Grisha out of the little palace. So Grisha that don't want to serve the king and queen or Grisha that are rebels, they, you know, they don't want to be there. They don't want to fight in the fight. They don't agree with the cause. He smuggles them out of the little palace and across the fold into Ravka. And this is how Kaz got the information in the first place. So, so, so you're saying that there's this guy who helps transport people who are somewhat enslaved and don't want to be there <laughs> across River Jordan. I mean, across the fold. <laughs> Um, Over the underground, river. I mean, above ground railroad. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, we don't know that yet. Yeah. Sorry. Yes. His name is Harriet Moses Tubman. <laughs> Wait in the water. Right. But, you know, I, 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 I'm not trying to go there. I'm just saying, you know, cer- certain things can be co-opted and, it, and it's okay. I know it's just a piece of fiction, but... I'm just saying. Yeah, but I mean, and, you know, unfortunately, people like that, they exist because they have to exist. There are people even now in 2021, you have people in other countries who are trying to help refugees get across borders, trying to get them to safety, you know. So unfortunately, people like the conductor are a necessity, in fiction and in real life. Lord, you look like you are about to burst. It didn't help us. I mean that that's that's only because the conductor was he was it wasn't an underground railroad. It was above ground. So he really didn't have anything for us. So I'm, I'm talking about the ships. I'm not talking about the railroad. <laughs> they didn't help us. No, I'm just kidding. Um no, I, I I agree with Anthony, but my, my thing is is that yes, it is essential. Yes, there are people who really need help. It's just that the thing that bothers me most about the modern day situation is that people know it's dangerous and I think there should be more help from the government to make sure that these things are safe or at least safer so that people don't get messed up and hurt. I mean, I am 100% about anybody who wants to come to this country and make their dream. I'm 100% behind that. I'm just saying that it's just some of the situations to this day, you think that 2021, it still wouldn't be as horrific as it is right now, this day. And I just, it, it's heartbreaking. It really Girl, is. Girl, that's a whole other podcast. Exactly. That's exactly. the reason the flag smashes existed. And yeah, we. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I'm just saying. But yeah. <laughs> but um, so anyway. But he's not in the book. Oh, he's not? Okay. He's not in the book. Well, again, this is is another thing, uh, another thing that I find very interesting about the show is is his character, because again, we see his character, you know... He seems like kind of a crucial character not to be in the book, though. Well, you have to understand where they go in the book is different from where they actually have to go in the TV series. So they have someone with that same name, but he doesn't serve the same function. Oh, okay. So, so yeah. So I think that when you read the book and you re- and you see the series, you're gonna go, well, where they? How they get this to this? And they're like, wow, that was a huge change. But his character, I like his character because he reminds me as one of those guys that you know how they they used to have this. Well, I'm gonna go south here. The carpet baggers. 
you know, the, the, the old school, you know, in the Civil War, the carpet bagger, they, they say used to come down with the carpet bag and steal stuff and all this other stuff. Or the guy that rips off somebody with the, the medicine from the medicine man, the, you know, the, the traveling doctor on the show on the road or the, the guy that can have a pretend he's a mystic and he can cure you of your vapors. And then in the middle of the night, they run off with their bag with the gold in it. That's who he reminds me of. Mm. You know, the, the con man who, who's, who's yeah. working a long and short con at the same time. Yeah, I can see that. But when he's telling them about getting across the foe, he tells them about this Grisha who assists him with this task. She is a heart render and she also does not like working for the palace. And, you know, she does what she can to help free other Grisha. And it is in this moment that we meet Nina. So y'all go ahead and gush and we'll get to the other stuff in a minute. Gush away, gush away. Oh, y'all are not going to get silent now after all the grief y'all just gave Oh, me. I'm waiting. Anthony, go right ahead. No, I, I don't really have a gush about it. I just, I just think she's a pretty... First of all, you know, when she comes in and she basically gets the room and she's about to be kidnapped and all of a sudden she turns into like this super person where she's beating up all these dudes and you realize there's something more to her her hands than are the bound eye. and she is fighting four One hand. guys no both yeah. of her hands are bound okay she's fighting four guys and she is whooping ass and these guys all tower over her they're big guys because they're part of the druskella they are grisha hunters so they have to be big and they have to be burly and they have to be able to take down these people with these magical powers or as kirigan says later on in the episode these people with these small science powers she takes them on and i'm not gonna say she made it look easy but damn she made it look easy. i'm go- i'm gonna say they are lucky that her hands were bound because they they barely had a handle of her. Right. If her hands were not bound, she was able to do her heart render stuff. They would have been in trouble. They would have been dead. Probably. So yeah. So my first thought was, there's more to her than than what we're being led to believe. Yep. Yeah. And and, the, and I and in and in ten seconds. And in another 10 seconds, they had a better magical hand system than the entire Magician TV series. <laughs> oh, jeez. Well, I think you guys mentioned that. I think, Anthony, you talked about that in the second episode where they have to have their hands free because in order for them to use their powers, they have to do a series of hand movements. Right, to activate mm-hmm. the to powers. activate the powers. Yeah, yeah. And without that, they're pretty much useless. Yeah. Yeah, but it's a good it's a good check. It's part of the checks and balances in there in this magic system that they created, mm-hmm. and it it also reminds me a lot of some of the anime I watch where it's, it's Naruto. The, it's, it's, yeah, it's Naruto. Naruto. Yes. Yeah, right, yeah, right. Where they have to yeah. do hands. The, the, the squallers are basically blowhard no jutsu. It's like, come on, like really. <laughs> Yeah, but even in even in air even in the last Airbender, they Airbender. they have mm-hmm. to do, but it's it's just part of jujitsu and ninjutsu and all that stuff. They have to you do the hands hand symbols, and it's fine because, like I say, it's a check and balance. It's just like 
you know, in in the Harry Potter books, being able to do magic without wand is is a big deal. The, yes. the wand is magic, or or not having to say the spell out loud. Right, those are novel. Those are huge because it's a check on on being able to use your powers. Which is why they fucked it up so bad in the movies because they. Uh, I, I deliberately, sorry. Sorry. I deliberately I'm avoided I'm sorry. bringing that up. It's, it's you know, Potter, you like know the, I had I know. time I've seen you do this. Seriously, <laughs> like the eighth time, literally. <laughs> but, you know, when we talk about magic systems, you have to have some checks and balances or else they would just be overpowered and no, no one would be a match. So mm-hmm. it is kind of cool that they do that because... It's really the only way it could kind of work where it would allow people to not always, it would allow the Grishas to not always have an advantage in every situation they're in. If they have to stop and do hand signals so the Juskela will shoot at you while you're trying to, we saw that earlier in the ambush. Yeah. They're mm-hmm. trying to do their hand signals and they're getting shot left and right. And that's probably why the Grisha are dropping like flies because right. not only do they have to have line of sight, they have to have time to do their hand signals or whatever. So there's a little there's like the handi- there's like the handicapping there. A lot. Yeah. yeah you think? But I, I loved it. It also puts them on kind of like an even kill with mm-hmm. the non-magical people. Yeah. Yeah. I love Dina. I was like, oh my God, she is so cool. And I love her even more since I'm reading the books. And when, when she comes and see, they, they do a cool thing because when she when she does the little symbol thing and she puts her hand behind her ear and she suddenly becomes like pretty to beautiful and the poor innkeeper just sees her and you get this thing where it's like, oh my God, what what is she? I mean, she's obviously Grisha. She finally, she's a heart, a heart uh, renderer, but she's a little bit more than the, the one that we saw at the brothel. I mean, she's got obviously a lot more training and it just intrigued me because Druskela, the way that they went in and that you saw the white wolves that they had on them. I, I love the whole thing. I thought, yay, we finally get someone who, who is confident, who's powerful and they look like they're pretty kick-ass characters. So yeah, I, I like Nina a lot. She, she kind of came across to me, you know, thinking about the way you just described her, kind of the ease that she had with her powers. She feels to me like a character who is a natural, like she may not have needed a whole lot of training. Like it probably just came naturally to her. It flows naturally from her. And that's probably why she's so good at it. And then of course, if she's helping to smuggle Grisha out of the palace, she would have to be tough and kick ass because if she's caught, that would probably be death for her because she is technically a traitor to her people you know because all grisha are expected to serve in the second army and she's helping people avoid that so yeah she has to be tough and able to hold her own probably against other people against other grisha just in case so yeah you know even though things didn't turn out so well for her in this episode because she does get captured and she is being transported to fierta for quote unquote trial yeah we know how that's probably gonna go but I don't think that's the last we're gonna see of her and 
I just feel sorry for whoever comes across her path because Nina ain't nothing to play with. Like her hands were bound and she was kicking those guys' asses. Yeah, just, good, yeah, good luck when they get her apart because you know, because it's already set up that she's gonna find a way out of those bonds. Like oh, you know that's gonna happen. You, I mean, and she's probably gonna lead, she's probably gonna lead a ragtag bunch of Grisha somewhere to try <laughs> to escape. And it's like, you know, it's gonna happen. I don't know. She she seems to me like she would probably be the type to maybe not depend on other people, especially because of the type of business she's in. Like she is a double, like a double agent almost. So I would think that she probably works better alone because then she doesn't have to worry about who she has to trust or who she doesn't. I mean, the conductor is a different story because he's not Grisha and he's actually taking these Grisha away. So I think there's a little bit more trust there. But as far as other Grisha, if they knew what she was doing, she would be considered a traitor and they probably would be trying to turn her in. So yeah, yeah. She, she strikes me as the kind that speaks to herself. But, you know, Kaz and the group, they get to her room at the end, not too long after she's snatched by the Druskella. And Jesper is like, oh, well, I guess this means we're going to abandon our son summoner plan. And Kaz is like, um, no, we're talking a, a million Kruger. What can a million Kruger do for you? He sounded like a commercial. What can a million Kruger do for you? <laughs> and Inez is like, it'll give her her freedom. Jesper says, it'll give me some, you know, some fun, at least for a few months. I'm like, a few months? That was when I should have known that there was going to be a problem with Jesper. A million Kruger, and you're only going to have fun for a few months? <laughs> Can I spoil one tiny, tiny thing? Sure. He's a college student. Oh, so, so he's paying off his student loans, and he'll have like $10. <laughs> perfect, perfect, okay, perfect so that makes perfect sense, sense now. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> he but, should have went for that damn master's. He would have been right. right. There it is, right there. But um, and then, of course, the conductor says that, you know, a million Kruger would mean retirement for him. So I think he would be able to stop. Although, although I'm kind of wondering, like retirement from what? Like, would you retire from helping Grisha escape? That doesn't sound like a job that you would want to retire from. So whatever his job is outside of that, because I'm, I'm assuming he has to have a job. He's got to fund his his little excursions some kind of way. Well, in the in in the book series, the conductor is pretty much acknowledged a slaver. In the book series. Okay, yeah, but we already know he's not that in in right, this in, show. in the thing. So so I think what they were trying to allude to is that whatever nefarious business dealings that he he's been doing for years and years and years, it hasn't caught up with him yet. But if he got one good score he could pay off what debts he does have, get out clean, and basically mm. go away and start a new life, which conductor's 40-ish. Uh, I can see wanting to get out while you still have years left and make a new life for yourself because he, he is part of the, 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 the race of people that, that are Normans, and he could basically disappear on one of their, uh, the, their wagons and make his way somewhere else and never be seen from again and he would be fine 
So yeah, I, I can see the, the appeal of getting out of the game because you have to understand, Kaz and uh, Jasper Engine, all of these people, they've been doing this criminal activity since they were very, very young. And the conductor more than likely has been doing the same. So at age 40, let's say 45, he's been doing this at least 30 years. He wants out. Yeah. So they're going to move on with the plan. Kaz tells him, he's like, look, just get us across the fold and I'll figure the rest out on the other side. And let me say, I will follow Kaz anywhere because Kaz exudes that kind of confidence. Like, I know what I need to get done and I'm going to get that shit done by any means necessary. He gives off that energy. There's a scene in the um, the newer Star Trek, the first movie with Chris Pine. Mm-hmm. And um, I forget his name, but he played Captain Pike. Yes. And he yeah, has yeah, the scene where he tells them exactly what they're going to do. You know, y'all are going to get this drill done. Y'all are going to dive 10,000 feet or whatever. Y'all are going to blow the drill up and y'all are going to get out of there. He wasn't like asking them to do it. He wasn't suggesting they do it. He told them exactly what he, they were going to do. Right. It's people like that. They're natural leaders that mm-hmm. Kaz is like, no, this is what we're going to do. And this is how we're going to do it. Okay. The plan is messed up. Okay. Well, we'll just do it this way. It's like, right. he just has this confidence about him, which as much as I don't like the character, I do kind of like that about him that, that he, he not I mean, only has. Like <sighs> You know what? We're going to have to sit down and have some conversation because the fact that you don't like two out of three of the crows, that's a problem. That's a problem. Well, you're going to see my instincts. Kind of you're going to see my instincts about Jesper are correct because Jesper does some stupid stuff Jesper that I don't. A little irresponsible. A little, yeah, a little irresponsible. Problem, he put everybody's life in jeopardy because of his so-called gambling addiction he couldn't put it aside just for a second just for one second be an adult but it worked out in the end. it wasn't even your money do the right thing i know i know, I know. <laughs> do the right thing uh, all i have to say you had one job yeah one, one freaking job all you had to do was buy some damn coal Alabaster that's coal. it 20, 20 pounds, pounds 20 pounds hey 20 i that's a lot of coal. I'm sorry. That just is. Okay. 20 pounds yes. of coal. <laughs> That's a laundry bag full of coal. But that doesn't have any bearing on his desire to gamble. No, Absolutely. but it is fun to watch him, though. You remember in Battlestar Galactica when, when, when uh, Old Head had to go decide whether or not he wanted to join and fight? And he goes back and forth, back and forth. That's what I got on that one. Yeah, it was... <sighs> I'm trying to find a way to defend Jesper, but you I'm going to You cannot. So the conductor tells them, okay, these are the things that we need to cross. I need 20 pounds of alabaster coal. And he's a peck of Maldajon. What is he? Jordan? I'm not sure what that is, but he's very specific. He's like, not the kind from Kirch. It's too weak. And we need a baby goat. And it's funny because he looks at Jesper before he says this. And he's like, we need a goat. And Jesper's like, what the fuck you mean we and, need a goat? 
and the conductor confirmed my suspicions because the goat was for who? Jesper. Jesper. Right. right. <laughs> Leave Milo <Right>. alone. <laughs> I love Milo. That's the one great thing about this episode. All my suspicions about Jesper are true. No yep, way. all your theories are coming true. Good job there, Anthony. I didn't say theories. I, 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 I knew you'd suspicions. come back to us. I knew you'd come suspicions, back to us. Suspicions, not theories. I think we've already went, went through this. Suspicions is oddly similar in synonyms, synonymical synonymicality. No, to you can't theories. even you can't even get the word out, Mike. Just give it up. Just give it up. Let the man have his let no, no. Let him synonymicality. have his you can't even get it out. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. <laughs> anyway. yeah. Suspicions. Uh-huh. Is not a theory. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so uh. they split up. Who's going to get what? Cass says he's going to go get the goat. Inej <laughs> is going to go get the uh, the Jerda. And <sighs> I don't know why has tasked Jesper with probably the most important thing. Well, okay, I will say this. They probably didn't know that it was the most important thing, but still, the way that he came to him, he was like, just the coal, no detours. It's almost like you know what Jesper is going to do. And yes, Kaz knows so Kaz even know, even he knows. But he's yeah. trying to give Jesper the benefit of the doubt he's like look this is hella important we're talking a million kruger here go get the fucking coal and don't take any detours and mm. i mean you see each of them well you don't see inej on her uh journey because of course inej is a fucking ghost so we don't see her do anything when she just shows up with the jurda <laughs> but we see jesper going through the town He's asking people, hey, Alabaster Cole, they're pointing him in the direction. And he's going and he hears gambling taking place over to the side. And he stops and he's like, nope, I'm going to keep on going. <laughs> and then, of course, the gambling gets a little bit louder. Whoever, I almost felt like, are y'all doing this on purpose? Like, do y'all, like, are y'all, did y'all see a mark and y'all were like, oh, yeah, let's pull him in. I know that they weren't because they were off to the side, but it was it was almost like it was calling him. Like it was just sitting there, you know, just kind of pulling him by a string to go and gamble. And then when he goes in there with the money, he was like, is this an open table? I was like, Jesper, please don't do this, baby. Because I already knew he wasn't about to win anything. Yeah. I mean, if he was really that lucky gambling, he would not be running around with the crows. So we already knew this was not going to be a great ending. I mean, again, as, as soon as he he told Jesper no detours, I was like, yeah, "Oh, we're about to take a detour." Sorry, he he already, he already gone. It's it's, right. it's a wrap. You knew he was going to do that. Well, I mean, Inez did a detour because I'm watching it now. This is the part where she's at the wall looking for the names of you know family members, but she at least had her stuff already. I mean, yeah, she had her, her stuff. Yeah, so I would not call that a detour because she had her stuff. And like I said, they don't even show us her getting right. the jurta because it's already a given that Inez has been given a task and she's going to do what the fuck she was supposed to do. End of story. So 
you know. Yeah. But and you know, and he couldn't you can give the journey task to Jesper either because he would have gotten the wrong stuff. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. He would have gotten the stuff from Kirch. So yeah. He was but, like, oh, what's the difference? Yeah. <laughs> but, but as yeah, yeah. Um, he's, he's adorable. As, as Kaz is walking back into the city with his goat, because Kaz, of course, is going to do what he's supposed to do, he overhears um, a speech taking place in the middle of the square. And this speech is being given by the general of the first army. And he is basically um, rounding up people trying to convince them that they need to separate from Ravka once and for all. So basically what he's doing is he is, um, he is suggesting that they become a sovereign state. And apparently there are some people who are there who are like, yay, yay, this is what we want. And Kaz is just looking and he's, you know, just kind of taking it all in you know he looks at some of the posters and that's how we figure out who the you know who the general is he's looking at the posters and he's looking around Kaz pays attention to everything he knows what's going on and he Mm -hmm. I think he peeps stuff that other people just wouldn't pay attention to but of course also being in his line of business he has to pay attention to the small things And one of those small things that he's paying attention to is the fact that as the general is going back to his tent, who is there to talk to him, but our very own conductor. And we don't know what he's talking to him about, but it's enough to be on Kaz's radar, you know? So uh, again, I I think kind of like with what Anthony said earlier, yeah, the conductor is one I think we're going to have to keep our eyes on because he's working with them now. But I think if a different opportunity comes his way, he's going to turn tail and go do what's good for him. Yeah, I can see that. Kansas is paying attention to it all. So I think he's going to be keeping a close eye on the conductor. But as he walks away, he finds Inej at her detour, as Lori says. And basically what she's at is a memory wall. So there are the names of people who perished crossing the fold. And apparently Inej is there looking for the names of her parents. And we, again, we only know a little bit of Inej's story that she was taken from her family when she was very young. She was sold to the menagerie and worked there as it's a brothel. You put, you put your imagination to it, but um, you know, she apparently still has hope that she will reunite with her parents, that she will find her parents. And Kaz, I don't know in, in this scene, I kind of, I understand what he was saying to her. And at the same time, I felt mad at him for what he was saying to her, because he was basically telling her, look, there's no hope. Give up. Stop doing this to yourself. And here we we learn a little bit more about Inej's faith, you know, that this is what she's holding on to. She's, she has faith that her parents are still alive, that, you know, maybe she could see them. And, you know, her whole reasoning for going to the wall was she felt like maybe if she saw their names there, she'd be able to let the idea of them go. Like if she were to see right there in writing that her parents were gone, she could 
say goodbye, get her closure and move on. But now she feels like she can't do that because she feels like they're still out there. And as long as they're still out there, she wants to look for them. And Cass tells her doing that gives you hope and hope is not a good thing to have. It clouds your judgment. Now I have to say this again, because we've said this before, Kaz and Inej, there is something there. Very plain to see that both of them are fighting it for whatever reasons, for various reasons, but it, you know, it seemed like it kind of sort of hurt Kaz to say that to her, you know, basically he told her, he said, pray, scream, do whatever you have to do to push this out of your mind and move on. And then the way that she looked at him was like, her heart was breaking. Like you were not supposed to tell me to do this. You were not supposed to tell me to give up. Well, I, I think a lot of it, it has to do with the fact that these these are young people who are in their, if they're even in their, if, if they're even 20, they're very young people who've experienced a lot of heartache, a lot of pain, a lot of loss, and it looks like they've dealt with it each in their own way, but I think Kaz is a little bit more uh, facing reality. He doesn't have any hope because the family member that he wanted to be with he knows isn't coming back and that she still is holding out hope. And I think he feels that holding out hope is foolish because she should be a a big enough of a big girl to understand that Mm -hmm. it's not going to happen. And that, you know, holding that is for lack of a better world, childish, Mm -hmm. even though they're barely 20, if they're even 20, they're, they're babies. I mean, literally babies. So, yeah. But I mean, but even so, like in the show, I know you were referencing Kaz and the person that he, the family member he wants. But again, that is a book mm-hmm. thing. We're not really discussing right, the book right. stuff because they changed it so much. So at this point, it just seems like Kaz is just telling her, look, I mean, I know he's jaded from whatever is going on or whatever has happened to him in his yeah. past. Again, we don't know what has happened to him show wise. Obviously, it was something big something probably heartbreaking and he's telling her look just just don't have hope just let it go you know and and she doesn't want to do it well you don't necessarily i i agree you don't necessarily have to go by the book and to go by just the tv series but i correct me if i'm wrong but i thought that when they were showing in the first episode i thought they mentioned something about pika uh about something that something happened with someone with him with Pika, but am, am, am I wrong? They mentioned that him and Pekka Rollins have a past, but we don't know what that past okay. is. Right. Okay. Pekka Rollins okay. didn't even recognize him. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right. So, My bad. I'm yeah. sorry. So we know that there's something that's happened between them mm-hmm. in the past. We just don't know what it is. So anyway, at this point it's nightfall. They go to the fold. And I think this is the, maybe not the first time, but it's one of the few times that they've actually seen it because I think Ketterdam is south of Shu. So when they are approaching, um, you know, they don't really see the fold from Ketterdam. So Inej, when she sees it, she's like, it's one thing to hear about it, but to see it, it's just, you know, mind blowing. And even visually, the way it looked on screen at this point, like you have the camera angle going up into the fold. It just looked so surreal. 
I think is the best way to put it. And I looked at that on the screen and I was like, I don't care how much money there is no way in hell you would ever get me to cross something like that. No, it's not happening. That thing looked like it will eat you up and swallow you whole. And that's without even knowing about the Volcra. It just looks like the foe, you just walk in and you're just like, okay, you just, you're gone. Yeah, I got to give props to their special effects crew because, I mean, the foe looked like a living entity. Like, it literally looked like it was breathing and moving and it was creepy yes. as fuck. And I agree with you. I would have been like, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know about all that. There's a lot of creepy in this, in this show. <laughs> yeah. You got the apparatus, you got the foe. Now, it's, it's, it's sad that I'm comparing the apparatus to the foe, but I mean, he gave me that <laughs> level of creepiness. So, but, um, so they get back to the fold and there, there's a section of the, I guess it's supposed to be like it was a beach or the shoreline, whatever you want to call it. And there are some railroad tracks. And we mentioned this earlier. So the conductor has a rail car. And that is what he uses to get across the fold. And of course, as they're getting ready to get on this rail car and they're wondering where the hell Jesper is, we hear gunshots because Jesper is being chased to the skiff because from what I gathered when he got on the skiff, um, he lost all of the money betting and ended up stealing the alabaster coal instead of buying it. But the thing is too, like we mentioned, he didn't get the 20 pounds, he got 16 pounds, which, you know, anybody would tell you when they specify a certain quantity or a certain amount of something that is needed to complete a particular task. Generally, it's a good idea to get exactly what is needed. It's kind of like going into a recipe that calls for two cups of sugar and you only put in one. Whatever it is you're making is not going to taste right because you didn't do what you were supposed to do. 16 pounds. And it's funny because when he gave the bag to the conductor. He told the conductor, yeah, I got the 20 pounds of coal. When the conductor grabbed the bag, he said, this is 16 pounds. Like he didn't even have to weigh it. He was like, this is 16 pounds. This is not going to be enough. Enough for what? Oh, we're about to take this train across the fold. So I have some questions about this because in episode one, they took a skiff across the fold, a skiff that made no noise and still attracted the Volcra. How the hell does he get a train car across the fold with all the racket and noise and noise coming from the markers? I was confused. It's moving faster. It's still making noise. No, 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 no. a moving target. Okay, okay. Boat, wind, conductor, coal steam engine it is literally four times faster than the wind powered boat so yeah you can conceivably make it across even with the noise it is much faster so i i i accepted that just on the fact of turbine engine power versus steam power that that i didn't question that okay i i guess i can go with that especially since they didn't have all the coal so they couldn't go as fast as they were supposed to go so yeah no that that yeah, that didn't bother me at all because like I said, they're going at least three to four times faster. Okay, I got it. 
But when they're in this rail car, the conductor gives them very specific instructions. He's like, you sit here, you sit here, you sit here. Don't shift your weight at all. Don't make a sound. Do what I tell you to do and we can get across this safely. And as they're going, he's looking at a stopwatch and there Mm -hmm. are markers on the outside and it kind of makes a ding and he tells them, this is how I mark the time. This lets me know that we're on track. So as they start slowing down a little bit, well, even before they start slowing down, he's giving them a rundown about how he gets across. And he happens to mention to them that he hasn't finished laying down the tracks. So they're like, wait, we're on a rail car traveling on a railroad that has tracks that end in the middle of the fold. What the fuck? What are you doing? So he explains to them that he has, uh, what does he call them? He has some kind of rail. He has some, he has some kind of rails on the car. So when he, when he got to the end of the track, that they would they would engage and still take them across right but that's why a switching system okay yeah yeah and that that that's why they had to remain still because if they moved it would Mm -hmm. put him off track and he wouldn't catch this catch the tracks when they re-engaged on the other side yeah because it shifts and it forks off if you gotta yeah yeah Yeah. like the old ones yeah Yeah. i mean like i said the whole mechanics of it made perfect sense to me but then again, I stare at blueprints all day, so. This is true, and, and it's probably why it, it makes sense for you. But um, Hey, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I need something explained to me. I just now realized that Kerch is an island, because I had to look up the map. So Caterdam is on an island, mm-hmm. right? Yes. To the west of Shuhan. Is it to the west? Like southwest. It's directly to the west. It, yeah. It, if you t- get on the boat and take the boat from Ketterdam, you you go straight and you can go to a port that's in Shuhan. Okay. That's below the mm-hmm. fold. So why couldn't, what was the reasoning they couldn't go through Shuhan? Is because of the war? I believe so, yes. yes. Okay. Yes. Just yeah, your only alternative is to go around. Like like uh um, what's the girl's name? I forget her name. Uh, Inesh. Uh, Inesh. Yes, I don't know why I can't remember her name. Inesh's people who are basically gypsies. They choose to go around constantly because they're in a caravan. Right, you know, but I'm, I'm just looking at the map. It seems like so they had they went north. They had to go northeast right. to Ravka. Mm-hmm. And then cross the fold. And also, if they're crossing down here at the bottom of the fold, that's a narrower point than where um, our friends were trying to go through earlier. Okay. So not only is the thing fat, not only is the rail car faster, but they had a shorter distance too. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, because they're in no- Nova, Nova Cabr- I can't pronounce it, Nova Cabrisk. Yeah. Okay. Yes, Nova Cabrisk. Yes. But, but see, the, uh, again, try not to spoil, but if you, what happens later on, the, the basic land layout that became the fold was an area that if over hundreds of years, it was in a position to change topographically into something else. So that makes complete sense the way that they have to go to and from and back and around. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah I'm all confused with the geography because... In my in my mind, everything yeah, everything in my mind was reversed. Oh, okay, okay. 
see, so uh, yeah, see, because yeah. I thought it was in the north is where I because when you said that I was I agree with Anthony because I'm thinking it shouldn't have been here, but you're saying it's over here. Yeah, yeah. Florida is in yeah. the north. That's what I thought. Okay. Yeah, but it's just I for some reason I thought Ketterdam was in East Ravka. South. And yeah, southeast Ravka yeah. and okay. and the little palace and the capital was in West Ravka. I have it backwards. Uh yeah, okay. I see what you're saying. Oh so, yeah, yeah I got it now. Because of the rebels. Yeah, that's true. Because I'm looking like, why didn't he just go straight there? Oh, that's because Alta is where the little palace is. Mm-hmm. And where the capital is. Yeah. So I have it all yeah. backwards. Because on the show, the direction they're going, it always looks like they're going east. Right. But I, like we're looking at west. it. Yeah, yeah but, but they're going west to yeah, east. Yeah, but we're looking at it from their point of view. So, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, here's a nitpick, which would be helpful. This is one of the times where the showrunners, like they did in... Uh, a couple different shows that we've watched, they need to put up a frigging map. I agree yeah. with this. Now it makes sense knowing that Kirsch is an island. Because before I was like, why are they getting on the boat? Oh, oh because we never see them leave Kirsch. Mm-hmm. But we see them go back. So Yeah, they need a damn map. At least, at least once in this episode. Or somewhere along the line. Because yeah. The geography is very, 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 very confusing. They should do a Game of Thrones did, and and the beginning of episode every episode was a map, and they would show you exactly where the show was going to be taking place. Well, yeah, but then again, as the credits got more involved, Mark and I would have a checklist that I would pre-print out. We check off, okay, they did, they did, they did this, they did it. Yeah, we were a little upset. Okay, I'm sorry. I I had to I had to, I had to get some clarification on some things because oh, okay. no, the map uh, threw me off. Very good point. Yeah, you're good. You're good. So anyway, um, so like I said, they're on this rail car going through the fold, and of course they start to attract the Volker, and the Volker um they're attacking the train car, and then they one of the Volker impales itself on a pole outside the rail car. And of course, everybody's starting to panic and the conductor's trying to keep some semblance of control. And Jesper is the one that's freaking out the most. And the conductor tells him, he's like, Jesper, sit down, grab the goat and shut up. And he was like, I'm not about to throw the goat over. He was like, the goat is not to throw over. The goat is for you. Hug the goat and shut up, you know, and maybe we'll live. (laughs) Again, while they're doing this, the Volker are attacking Jesper is hugging the baby goat in the back and the conductor realizes they're not going to make it. They've run out of coal. They have nothing else to put in the fires. The Volker that has um, impaled itself on the rail car is adding weight to the rail car so that they're not moving as fast. So he's pretty much like, yeah, we're about to die. And he flies down to the floor, ready to accept his impending death. Then here comes Jesper. He's holding the goat. He has this slow cowboy walk. And then all of a sudden, he unholsters those guns. He starts shooting. And I mean, bam, 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 killing Volker left and right. And then he puts the goat down, keeps on shooting. And just as they finish, they make it right across the fold. Here comes the sunlight. They are safe. When I tell y'all, Yes, I was mad at Jesper for spending the money for the coal. But when I saw 
that gunslinging work, all is forgiven. Boy, he is good. It's, it's I will. I will say that he is good. It, it, it was kind of, to me. It was kind of reminiscent of the dead shot scene in um, Suicide Squad, where where he was on top of the cars and he was just like boom, 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 and shooting everybody. I mean, that was, that was some pretty. That was some pretty handy. Um, I am not going to give him credit. We're not paying attention to you right <laughs> I'm now. I'm not going to give him credit for salvaging the situation that he we're created. We're gushing here. We're gushing here. Let us gush for a minute. Okay. He made up for it. He made up for it. Yes, he fucked up, but he saved the day. So that's a wash. The positive cancels out the negative. So we're back at ground zero. We're going to leave Jesper alone, Anthony. Okay. We're going to leave Jesper alone. Yeah. I mean, that was pretty. Yeah. Yes. The gunslinging was amazing. And the actor who plays Jesper, and I don't, my mind just went blank, but he actually learned how to do all of the gunslinging. So that is actually him doing all of that and he said it took him a while but he's gotten actually pretty good at it i i just i just love the way it it looks you know <laughs> i wish y'all could see the hateful look anthony has on his right now I mean, hate, that, that's the most hateful smile i've ever seen he's just I'm like not yeah this motherfucker no still whatever it's okay. How how many more times is he gonna fuck up? That's all. I'm uh, all, all I'm saying is, Mark, who doesn't watch the show, walked in, took that look at that scene, and uttered the words "pretty Ricky" and walked out the room. <laughs> oh lord! <laughs> oh man! <laughs> Respect. That's awesome. That's funny. Is it? That doesn't even watch the show. Mm-mm-mm. that's funny but um going back to the little palace so let's see we've talked about alina being introduced to the king and queen i think we talked about that briefly but I, the, I think the we- hate from zora <laughs> man this woman oh see old uh, girl needs to have herself slapped she's a she's a hater of the highest oh. degree Zoya. But see, well, Zoya. I, well I, all, all I'm going to say is that I felt bad for her because it. I got the bad for who? Zoya. I'll explain why. Up until Miss Thing showed up, she was the hottest thing going. And now she's not. So she's put a little bit out. So I can get the whole bullying, trying to make myself feel better. She's wrong, like they said, but she's not lying, but she's right, they would say, or whatever the line was. I get that she's going to do that because that's what that type of character does. Buy me a river. Get over yourself. Agreed. Stop it. Stop it. No, there's no, no, we're not doing this. We're not doing this because. I understand exactly why. She's the way she is because not only, you know, it's one thing for her to, it's one thing for her to literally throw herself at Mal and Mal's like, yeah, no, I'm going to go find my friend. But then to figure out that not only is Alina the friend that Mal turned her down for, now Alina is the so-called savior of the Grisha and is being hailed as like, the second coming, and Zoya has been there for years. She has worked her way up to 
a pretty decent rank within the second army. And here this little scrub comes and not only does she have some kind of hold on the dude I tried to sleep with, but now she's coming here in my turf and people are giving her hugs and she's already making friends. And that, no, no, no. Yeah, I, I understand completely why she's acting the way she is. I still don't give a fuck. Period. No, 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 no. She, 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 the rank for the rank that she has for the for the relative importance that she has, she's she has to be the better person. She can't be as she can't be as petty as she was when she hugged Elena and said, It's such an honor to formally meet you, then whisper in her ear, you stink of the orphanage half-breed. I mean, to be for that that level of petty, she has to be the bigger person because she she for one for me for having the most experience, she should be the bigger person. I'm not. I, I mean, I understand. Not that she's gonna not. happen. You want to know why? Because General Kerrigan has also shown Alina a lot of attention, and based on the comments that um, Nadia and Maria said, isn't Nadia and Maria? Yes, I think so. Yes, Nadia Marie. That Nadia and Marie said to her, Zoya has been pining after General Kerrigan. So now here comes the Sun Summoner, the answer to all his prayers. And now his attentions are there. So yeah, she's got like triple blow. So yeah, sometimes when it comes to stuff like that, there is no being the bigger person. But, you know, I mean, um, Mike, you you there's this movie I want you to go see. It stars a wonderful actress named Lindsay Lohan. It's called Mean Girls. <laughs> I'm not watching Mean Girls again. You can't make me. You can't make me. I refuse. No. Somebody has to make you watch me. Awesome. I'd rather I'd rather watch to watch the ten things I hate about you. It was the, it was it was a better. Okay. Movie. All right. Let me clean it up, Mike. There's this TV series about three sisters. It's called Charmed. <laughs> Stop trying. I'm not, I'm not going to be on, I'm not going to understand and I'm not going to give her a break or a pass. No. No, she's not not getting a pass from me either. I understand. If you want petty, watch Charmed or Mean Girls, preferably Charmed. (laughs) I completely understand Zoya and her motivation. I also do, I will say this, I, I understand her losing control after Alina smacked the shit out of her, which was so satisfying to me. This, this, she straight yeeted her across the whole yard. I was like, "Yeah, I mean, son, I understand that, but still, it's kind of like you, you yeah. kind of deserve that. You kind of deserve that. that yes, yeah, that I don't. Yeah, I mean, they each deserved what they got. Yeah, Zoya deserved to get punched in the face, and for getting punched in the face, Alina deserved to get yeeted all the way, all the way back into her dorm. Like, no, I don't think. I don't think she deserved that that was a lot that was all of that jealousy that we just talked about and then yeah but it's kind of the humiliation of being punched not only by this little pipsqueak but in front of all of your comrades in front of all the people you've trained with in front of the teacher who basically just said yeah I've been training her since she was 10 you just got embarrassed so yeah I mean yeah it's cause and effect yeah, it's cause and effect, but she she did go a little too far because, like you said, she is supposed to be the bigger person, and she's letting all this jealousness, you know, kind of influence her. But 
I mean, what was she expecting? Like she has been nasty to Alina. And so for Alina to want to stand up to her, even though she got her ass handed to her, but still the fact that she stood up to her again, that's one of the things I like about her character. She doesn't stand down for anybody. She's like, you guys are not going to treat me the way you treat me. You're not going to disrespect me. And I'm not going to stand down and just sit back and take it and turn the other cheek. No, I'm going to stand my ground. So I love that about Alina's character. So even though, yes, she got her ass handed to her, the fact that she stood up to Zoya and even when Zoya knocked her down the first time, she got back up and she was like, let's go again. She's not backing down. She's not going to let you bully her and she's not going to let you, you know, make her feel small or she's not going to let you treat her as if she's unimportant just so you can feel more so no that's that's not alina it's not about to happen and zoya got what she deserved she needed that punch in the face then she got banished so to see zoya again i agree with you on that yeah so and again we get some more mal and alina flashbacks which i love seeing the flashbacks you know how we get to see their relationship develop but we didn't see enough Mal in this episode. Well, I'm, got I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I look, don't roll your eyes at me. I wasn't rolling my eyes at you. But I wasn't rolling your eyes. If I played back this video right now, people will see you rolling your I eyes at up. me. I have video episode, But Hanukkah, we may not have gotten, but we got Mateus instead. You know, I have to say. <laughs> There is a lot of attractive people in Ravka. There is, isn't there? <laughs> even though he's a Druskella, and even though he has my girl Nina up in shackles on a boat, taking her across the sea to a trial that she does not deserve to go to. Yeah. Yeah, they've got some pretty good. Like I said, normally you don't ever hear me going about how good looking somebody is, but they've got some good looking people in this cast. They really do. Male and female. Like the whole cast I, is just pretty. Just pretty. Oh, they're 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 beyond I don't think I've seen this pretty of a cast since gosh, Game of Thrones, I want to say. I mean, really. Yeah, Game of Thrones had a, a beautiful ass cast too. But <laughs> but yeah, we, we get to see this flashback of them, you know, when the trainer asks Alina if she can fight. You know, she has this flashback to Mal teaching her how to punch properly, you know, proper thumb placement and how she's supposed to hit. And it's a cute little flashback. But like I said, we don't get enough flashbacks of them right now. We don't see Mal enough. Like he's almost non-existent in this episode and i don't like that i'm just i'm just saying i just had to put that out there but i just you know yeah so so basically you're not you're not seeing mal is the same as anthony seeing walking in certain other things that we've watched it's like okay cut all that out and get to the action you're basically like cut all the other people out no i'm not even saying give me mal no i'm not even saying cut anybody else out because like like I said, this is actually one of my favorite episodes from start to finish because we get so much exposition in the episode. Like, you know, we talked about the first episode and I know, you know, Anthony and I talk about this and we, we've talked about this on other podcasts. We've talked about this in everyday conversation we've had, you know, just face to face. Sometimes when it comes to new shows, 
it takes a few episodes, at least four episodes. Like usually, you know, by episode four, whether you're going to like this show or not. But a lot of times it takes all four episodes at the beginning of a show to kind of build the world, build the characters. And I feel like they did that with the first two episodes, but with this third episode, even with the new characters that they're introducing in this episode, we are getting so much from these characters. It's like, we don't need to know Nina's whole backstory to know that she's a Grisha, she's a powerful Grisha, and she's kick-ass. Like, we saw this in, what, one scene. Yeah. So, you know, with the other characters, I don't mind seeing them on screen. I'm I'm loving, like, there is not a character on here that I can say, I don't want to see more of their story. Even the, even creep, even. Creepy, even, creepy fryer talk. <laughs> Even the creepy apparat. <laughs> I still want to know what's his story. Like, why are you like this? Like, what are you trying to tell Alina? What's going on? What's the, what's the side quest? What information are you trying to give her? And what information are you giving us that we have yet to figure out? I still want to know his story as creepy as he is. So I'm not saying I want to see less of the other characters. I just want to see a little bit more of Mal. I'm just saying, you know, but... And I know it's coming. It, it's it's coming. But anyway, um, so yeah, uh, Alina gets this vision of the stag again when she gets knocked out by Zoya. And it's so funny because the stag is looking down on her like, bitch, get up. <laughs> this is not what you were here for. Get up. And of course she gets up and, you know, she she's a little bit, I won't say she's embarrassed, but I think she kind of feels put in her place, which she should. Because Zoya did just do that for her, but it's also I think it I, I think it was something that Alina needed to also know that yes, they are treating her differently because she's the sun summoner, but yes. now she knows they also yes. aren't yes. going to treat yes. her differently because she's the sun summoner. Zoya could have easily held back on that. She could have pulled that punch or that whatever you want to call it. And just kind of yeah. embarrassed Alina a little bit. But no, just as much as Alina is like, you guys are not going to make me feel a certain way. Zoya is the same way. She's like, look, you're not coming up in my house and taking everything from me, everything that I worked hard for. And you you have to think that that's probably a little bit of what Zoya is feeling as well. It's like she's been in the little palace. She's been training. She's been working hard and fighting for her position and fighting for her rank and fighting for the respect that she gets and then here this you know here comes this little girl from karamzin who has the power of the sun doesn't even know that you know didn't even know that she was grisha doesn't know how to use her power but yet everybody is falling over her now yeah like i said i do feel like zoya is somewhat entitled to feel what she's feeling you know and again alina knows now that yeah, just because you are the Sun Summoner, I'm not treating you any different. She does have at least one person who's going to be like that. You know, she's not going to be fall, falling over her. She's not going to be, oh, you're the Sun Summoner. You're going to be my friend. Now we're going to be the best of friends. No, mm-mm. we're not going to like each other. And we're establishing this from day one. You know, Alina needed that lesson. But yep. I, again, I need to know now why she's seeing the stag all of a sudden. 
Well, hasn't she always had visions of the it's stag? She was yep. drawing the stag even. Yeah, but now we're younger. seeing the stag as well. So I, I need to know what the bigger picture yeah. is. And I know it probably has something to do with what the apparat told her about being able to absorb its powers. And maybe that's going to have something to do with uh, Alina's journey. Yeah, we'll see. But, you know, she she realizes in this instance that you know, and she goes back to the room and writes Mal a letter. She's like, look, even though I'm here, this is nothing different from the orphanage. I still have to defend myself. You know, people still, you know, she, she kind of feels overwhelmed right now. And she's telling him, look, if you were here, I wouldn't be overwhelmed. And like I said, she starts, she starts revealing a little bit more of her feelings to Mal in these letters, even though she's not like she's not writing him full out love letters declaring her love for him, but you can see the tone of the letters is starting to change the longer she's away from him. And you know, he's not even getting the letters. Yeah, so. but at this point, she doesn't know he's not getting the letters. We don't even know for sure that he's yeah. not getting the letters. We just assume he's not getting the letters because we know what this is. They're trying to isolate her so that she feels alone and then she'll be more willing to ingratiate herself in into this life and into this training that they want her to do and just everything. That's what they want. They want her to feel alone so that she'll seek comfort there. It's the exact same. It's the exact but same power. This goes to show no matter how many powers you have, you can't escape douchebags. Oh, no, you can never escape a douchebag. No, no, never. Uh-uh. So this is where we meet Creepy Apparat. Creepy Fryer Tuck. Creepy everything. Because even looking at him on the screen, I have it playing on the background right now. And just the way he's walking up to her and like she's having to, to walk back because he's getting too close. Again, it's like, dude, give me some personal space. Oh, I don't think so. But, you know, he shows her the books. He tells her about, what was it? Uh, the Bonesmith? Yeah. You know, it tells her about the lore of the stag and the other animals. And then he takes her to meet Bagra. First of all, Yay, Zoe Wanamaker. I was so happy to see her. I was like, hey, Madam Hooch. Madam Hooch. Madam Hooch. Get your broomsticks. But she plays. Get your quaffles. Um, right. But she plays these little eccentric, witchy type characters very well because she was also, I don't know if you guys watched the film Red Riding Hood with Amanda Seyfried in it, mm-hmm. but she was also her grandmother. In that one, and she was a little bit odd and eccentric huh. there too. So, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, so she goes to Bagra, and Bagra is another one that is a. I don't. I don't know. She's kind of off. In this one, she also does not really have a sense of personal space. Lori, is this what you were talking about earlier when we were talking about the apparat and his lack of personal space? You said that somebody else. Okay, I figured it was bad when you were talking about. Well, so, wouldn't yeah. you be like that too if you were like in in a crypt <laughs> underground? That's and what it looks like she's in, right? She's like cave or something. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, so she starts talking to Elena and I think she's supposed to be training her, but she's also trying to get Elena to figure out who she thinks she is. She's like, yeah, everybody else thinks you're the Sun Summoner. What do you believe? 
And you can see a lot of hesitation with Alina. You know, she says, uh, she asked Alina, she says, where do you belong? She's like, I belong at home with my friends in the army. She doesn't really feel like she belongs there. And well, she, she's not going to ever be able to connect to her power if she doesn't figure out who she is or what she is. It's pretty much like a common trope in most shows, in most stories where the hero has to face themselves and has to accept who they are in order to access their full potential. Yeah. But I think um, a, a couple of things in this episode also point to what we've been talking about as far as them trying to separate her from her past or trying to get her to let go of her past in order to move on, in order to be a great Grisha. Because again, if you think about it, they think that it's her past that you know kind of got her in this position in the first place. Like you could have known you were Grisha years ago. But you skipped doing the test because you didn't want to leave your friend behind. Your friend is, in their eyes, Mal is a hindrance. Yeah, but it, doesn't, but it doesn't seem like Bagra is in that thought camp. Bagra seems to be, you need to figure out who you are and, and embrace it. Like, do you believe, she, what did she tell her? Who are you? You're the Sun Summoner? Well, come back to me when you believe it, or whatever she yeah. said. So yeah. she's she seems to be in the camp of you need to figure out who you are. You know, you need yeah. to accept and embrace who you are. Yeah, but I think also too, she she makes a comment when she's she starts asking Alina questions. She's like, Where are your parents? They're dead. Where did you grow up in Karamzin? And she says, You slipped through the cracks and stayed where you didn't belong. You know, and and to me, that kind of feels like that's also in that pool of, you know, this this thing is in your past, especially once she starts saying, Well, where do you belong? In the army with my friends. Baby, those are the things that were keeping you back, you know, holding you back from being a Grisha. You don't need to be doing that anymore. So once you decide you are the Sun Summoner, once you decide you are a Grisha, once you accept that, then you come back to me. That's that's kind of how I got that from her too. You know, I think, and it may not be intentional, but maybe it's just because that's what I'm getting from the episode that I feel like it came from Bagra as well. There's someone she reminds me. Well, because she she was like you were. She was like, how how is how is throwing punches gonna make you a sun summoner? You know, it's like it, it's you still. It's not really letting go of the past. It's you need to understand who you are and which you are, and not necessarily forget the past, but just embrace what you are like now you now you have an idea of what you have what you are who you are you need to embrace it and i and i think you can do that without letting go of your past which is what kerrigan and everybody else wants to do is just forget who you were and be this thing now well bagra is like you need to just understand who you are that's it you right. know, she 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 doesn't know who her parents are. She she's been an orphan. She it's like you're off flailing in the wind, and now you finally know who you are. You need to embrace it. It doesn't have anything to do with letting go of the past. I think that's what everyone else is doing. I think Bagra's taking a different. I think her approach is a little different than everyone else's. I think I've, I've, 
I was trying to think of who she or who Bagger reminded me of because it was the way she was talking, the way she was moving. I was like, she reminds me of somebody, but I couldn't put my finger on it. I think what it is to me, she reminds me of the old Luke Skywalker in the last trilogy of Star Wars, where where he's just, where he's like, you know, he's like pushing her and challenging her. He was pushing and challenging Ray to actually to to get to where she needed to be, and like. I just that that because it was bugging me. I was like, okay, that. But when I thought about, it, I was like, okay, that makes sense because she's kind of has an attitude and she's just like, eh, you know, like like you know, and I'm not gonna waste my time until you're ready. So just just go away, come back when you're ready. And, and you know who I you know who I was feeling. I, I she reminded me more of like, um, Syria from Cereal Game of Serial yes. Pharrell and yes. ja- Jacqueline, uh, Jacqueline, because a lot of it is you have to embrace who you are. Like you have to be who you are in order to move forward. That's that what they were always telling. Yeah, that's okay. that's what they were telling Arya all the time. Was like, who are, this? Even ja- who are you? Like who are you? Do you even know who know you are? <laughs> right. So <laughs> that that's what that was a feeling that was good. But I did also. Get a little bit of the um, of uh, Luke in there too, old Luke. But okay. you know, we don't really we don't really care for those movies, so we don't use those. I, I, hey, hey, speak for yourself. I actually, <laughs> I actually like the, I actually like like the. I like them. I like, I like them. my Game of Thrones, Serial Pharrell, and Jack in reference because yeah, I think I like they're it. more appropriate because yeah. Arya was sort of in the same place. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She was, but um, there are two things that caught my attention specifically during this conversation with Bagra. The first was when Bagra asked Alina, where are your parents? Alina says, dead, I assume. She doesn't know for a fact that her parents are dead. This is true. Mm -hmm. So that kind of struck me. And then the second thing was when Bagra was talking to Alina about her powers and she said something about the general. She said his blood and bones amplify other Grisha. That's very curious because again, when Alina, she responds to that human amplifiers don't exist. Well, maybe they're not supposed to, but... The apparat did tell Alina that there are animals, plural, that can amplify Grisha's powers. So I'm wondering, has Kerrigan either gotten to one of those animals already and that's why he can do what he does or, you know, what he did with her? Or two... Is he descendant from the bonesmith? And maybe that's a, I don't know, that's a DNA thing that, that's passed down? I, I just assumed that he was because isn't it the same like power set, the okay. same skill set? Okay. I just, yeah, that kind of struck me when I heard those two things in conversation. I was like, hmm, Okay. They're giving me more clues. But of course, you know, this is like, I think I've seen this episode now like four times. So I'm noticing something new every time I watch it. And those those are a couple of the little things that, you know, stand out to me. But um, 
Um, shout, shout out to the minefield scene where they walked up on the sign and they were, and he was like, no, don't worry, no, don't worry about it. I'll put that sign up to discourage people. Just follow me. You're fine. And then they blow up. He was like, I thought you said it wasn't arm. He was like, no, I never said that. I just said I put the sign I up to I discourage could, yeah. people. You know. <laughs> I was like, you're leaving, leaving important details like that out are, are just, just not conducive to people keeping all their limbs. Like you got to do a little better than that. Well, I mean, technically speaking, he wasn't concealing anything. I mean, he he never he didn't say no. There aren't landmines. He just said, "I just put the yeah. sign up." Luckily, Inej and Kaz were smart enough to walk along his path anyway. So Jesper, of course, not as lucky because he was being chased by men with guns. So yeah, there is that. So some of those men I know didn't make it back home, but that's okay. They were were chasing my baby with a gun. So whatever. They didn't need to make it back. (laughs) Oh, but yeah, I'm enjoying this series so far. And I feel like, I feel like with this episode, like I said, we got so much exposition with this episode and there's so much even with the new characters coming in I felt like the episode was really moving forward so I feel like it's gonna be maybe a little bit faster paced in the next few episodes as well but because this is I think this is also one of those eight episode series which why eight just give us an even 10 and be done with it I think the reason why Mm -hmm. all these are ending up with eight is they had to negotiate uh, episode length time versus budget. So mostly all the new shows, whether it's a sitcom or whatever on Netflix, they're all going to have eight episodes. I think that was the magic number that they could agree with. Okay, I'll take that. Um, any final thoughts on this episode? Um, shout out to Stag again, because we the White Stag is obviously a magical creature because we saw it in Discovery of Witches too when they went down to that when he went down to pray at, at um Philippe went down to pray, yep. we saw a white stag there. Yep. So again, it's like a lot of our shows are cross-referencing themselves. Um it kind of makes it easier and harder to keep keep track of. Um shout out to the the douchey um firebender dude who never gave who never gave Alina a smile or even pretended to like her. Like he's the one that was re- reading off everybody dying. He was like, "You're sitting here eating figs." Ivan, yeah, that's, that's him. Yeah, like he, yeah, that's Ivan. He was he was one of the um, Inferni that was in the carriage with her when they got attacked and by we'll, the yeah. Uh, he, he's interesting, but you, you're, we're forgetting the most important scene: the food taster. If I had a taste that bland ass chicken, those boiled potatoes, <laughs> I'd be hot too. I'm sorry. <laughs> He didn't have any seasoning. No, he was. On he was ha- oh, okay, are we surprised that there's no seasoning on anything? No, anyway. we're not. No. But but he was happy to have that job. He, he I mean, he was <laughs> smiling, and he. I mean, he literally almost started eating all of her food. He was like, "Oh, sorry. Uh, here you go." <laughs> right, but he's just gonna push the green bean back with onto his her fingers, and like nasty ass. But like, just eat that and get the fuck on. But again, here's the funny thing: the last taste. They asked him, "Was this a?" Was this a punishment? He's like, oh no, this is a plum gig. I was excited when the last he taster was like, died. Yes, I am here. I am in it to win it. Yeah, I'm like, okay. Well, if that's the most excited, if that, well, if that is what they consider high food, 
Um, they need to go find a McDonald's somewhere or something. I'm I'm just saying. So it's like all the all the other food tasters are in are in the kitchen. Like, come on, nightshade, come on, nightshade. <laughs> <laughs> Spin the wheels. Spin the wheels. Do they have a do they have like a big board where they, they take wages? Like yeah, it's like it's like a it's like a dead hemlock. Hemlock. Yeah, it's like a dead It's like uh Brandon's down. Oh, Brandon's down. Who had Brandon? I had Brandon. I had Brandon. I'm just saying that was just historical. Yeah, Alina's little letters to Mal, they're making me sad now because like I said, I just feel like he's never gonna get these letters. And she's just pouring her heart out in them. And it really makes me mad because I know somebody's reading those letters. You're going to laugh. It's getting to a point where every time she writes a letter, I hear the following, Dear Elena. Mm. (laughs) You know what? I actually... It's almost to that point. No, it's... uh, That's how the Vampire Diaries reference is. Yes, of course it is. Yes, it is. It's almost... It's not quite, but it's almost to that... Dear Elena, today I told Stefan that I didn't want to go to the store, but he insisted that I go. You know, that's actually it would have been the other way around. It would have been today I told Damon I didn't want to go to the store. Stefan would have been the one writing in the book. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, but no, they, 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 yeah, they got to figure that they're not. They're, I mean, do you foolishly think that your letters are just going to go unread? Yeah, right. One thing okay. I do like about this show is I like that they're giving us romantic tension without making it sexual tension. You know what I'm saying? It's like the the vibe is yeah, more yeah, that's true. That's it's true. more an intimate mm-hmm. vibe and it's not the physical thing. It's not a sex thing. And I like that because so many times especially with shows dealing with younger kids, they focus on the sex part so much. And I like it with this because you see and feel the connection with Alina and Mal and with, you know, Kaz and Inesh. And even, dare I say, even though this is kind of weird, but even with Matthias and Nina, you kind of feel like there might be something there. Oh, oh, those so, two, those two. Yeah, but I mean, just, it's, it's such a classic set. He can't stand her. She hates him. They're on a ship together. It, You know it's going to be shipwrecked somewhere along the way. Oh, you of just course. Know this, okay? I mean, course. and she's like, you know, I, I, they didn't get into much, but there's just... It's just seeing those two, I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. This is going to be good. Because their story is going to be the, he hates Grisha. Like, he's the judgmental one. Right, right, He's going to be the one to have to convince him that not all Grisha are evil or are witches or whatever. Right, right, right. She was talking to him. He turned around and he looked at her at one point. I was like, oh, that's kind of a smolder. Like, he's looking at her like... Yep. I'm not supposed to feel like this, but I, you know, I, I think he kind of, I kind of like it. And, it, and like one of them, right. One of them is going to have to save the other one's life. We know that's a given. And then someone's or, or vice versa. It's going to be, you her. know, they're going to have to save. He's going to have yeah. to save him. And that's going to be the, right. that's going to be the thing that's supposed to make him question everything. He's everything. <laughs> I mean, we know this. I can't wait. I can't wait. I really can't wait. We know this. I mean, just like Michael said, a lot of the things that we see in other shows that we talk about, they repeat themselves. But I mean, 
it's a fantasy show that's kind of like the blueprint right but see here's the bad thing and i've seen this online too and mike i'm not going to spoil anything here's the problem i actually enjoy more with the six of crows and nina and matthias versus alina and mal i actually enjoy that portion better than the actual main two characters because to me Alina and Mal are a little boring, but these guys are exciting. I love seeing these guys. Uh, honestly, I'm, I'm kind of like Lori. I would watch a show with just Matthias and Nina because mm. I just think it's, yeah. That dynamic is about to be on and popping. Mm-hmm. Like, you just mm-hmm. feel it. And I think the thing with Alina and Mal is like, that's already established. Like, even in the first episode, we know that some way or the other, I don't know if it's going to be in this season or if it's going to be in subsequent seasons, we already know that somehow, some way, those two are going to be together. It's a given. So I think that's kind of maybe for, for you guys what makes it boring because that's already, it's a thing. I, yeah, I, 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 I ask humbly, I submit to the committee of the podcast that after we do the last episode of the show that we do uh, after show because I want to compare and contrast the book Oh yeah, I, on I, what they didn't do in the series. Yeah, I think we already discussed that we all are probably going to read the books that read the book, yeah. and then probably yeah. discuss that as well because I, I do want to see what the differences are and what the improvements are because most of what I'm reading online is that the show improves on the books it does but at the same time if they didn't have six of crows you wouldn't have had much of a tv show yeah you really yeah. would not have because i get that too um i think i've heard that the original trilogy mostly takes place from alina's point of view so you don't, yeah. you don't get the point of view of all the other people. And I think that's something else I also heard about A Discovery of Witches because book-wise, that also takes place a lot from Diana's point of view. So book I would- one drove me nuts because it was nothing but Diana. Book two, I've started. It's a little bit better. But seriously, if I can't, every, every chapter started and I talked to Matthew and we had to disagree to disagree over that, mm-hmm. that, 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 Yeah. But that's just me. Yeah. But yeah, I, th- I think I do want to read the books and do a comparison. So yeah, that, that most likely will be something that we will be doing with this series. But for now, that is it for our show. You can find us online at www.phantomhybrid.com. We are on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Phantom Hybrid. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and other major podcast streaming platforms. Thanks for listening. We hope you join the conversation next time.